Chapter Eight of Leatherface: A Tale of Old Flanders. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Dion Gines, Salt Lake City, Utah. Leatherface: A Tale of Old Flanders, by Baroness Orksey. Chapter Eight: The Watcher in the Night lenora thinking that mavrou van Rijk was still astir and pining for motherly comfort and companionship had crept softly down the stairs candle in hand when all of a sudden she paused in the vast hall everything was so still and so weird that any noise even that of a mouse skimming over a carpet would have made itself felt in the absolute silence which lay over the house and lenora's ear had most certainly heard or rather felt a noise the sound of people moving and speaking somewhere not very far from where she stood listening every sense on the alert with a sudden instinct half of fear and half of caution she blew out the candle and then groped her way with hands outstretched hardly daring to breathe the tiny flickering light which came from an iron lamp fixed to a bracket at the foot of the stairs made the hall seem yet more vast and strange but one small elvish ray caught the polished brass handle of the dining-room door and this glimmer of metal seemed to attract lenora toward it after a while her eyes became a little more accustomed to the gloom she tiptoed up to that door-handle which so attracted her and placing both her hands upon it she crouched there beside the door listening in effect there were people moving and talking not far from where she crouched no doubt that they were in the small withdrawing-room beyond and that the door of communication between the two rooms was open lenora motionless palpitating her heart beating so that it nearly choked her felt that all her faculties must now be merged into those of hearing and if possible seeing what was going on in this house and at this hour of the night when the high bailiff was from home whether any thought of conspiracy or of state secrets had at this time entered her head it were impossible to say whether she thought of ramon's murderer or of her oath to her father just then who can tell certainly not the girl herself she only listened listened with all her might and anon she heard the scraping of a chair against the tiled floor then the iron rings of a curtain sliding along the rod finally the whistling sound of a gust of wind rushing through an open window this moment she chose as her opportunity she turned the handle of the door very gently and quite noiselessly it responded to her touch then she pushed the door wide open and waited listening 
the door into the withdrawing-room was wide open just as she had conjectured the wind was blowing the feeble light about which flickered in that room and there were men in there who moved stealthily and spoke in whispers lenora crept forward furtive as a mouse the darkness in the dining-hall was impenetrable and she in her house-dress of dark woollen stuff made no noise as she glided along keeping well within the gloom her hands stretched out before her to feel the objects that might be in her way at last she came within range of the open door and had a view of the little room beyond she saw the table in the centre the men sitting around it and clemence van Rijk in a high-backed chair at its further end just now they all had their faces turned toward the window where in the open casement the head and shoulders of a man were dimly visible to lenora for one instant and then disappeared after that she heard the men talking together and heard what they said she saw that one man appeared to be the recipient of great marks of respect and that the others called him your highness she was now listening as if her very life depended on what she heard crouching in the angle of the dining-room as closely as her unwieldy farthingale would allow she heard the man whom the others called your highness and who could be none other than the prince of orange explain to the others a plan for massing together two thousand men in connection with a forthcoming visit of the duke of alva to ghent she heard the word leatherface and a great deal about a packet of papers she heard the prince speak about a meeting to-morrow in the house of the procurator-general and finally she saw laurence van Rijk take a packet of papers from the prince's hand and lock it up in the bureau that stood close to the window indeed she could not for a moment be in doubt as to the meaning of what she saw and heard here was a living proof of that treachery that underhand conspiracy of which her father had so often spoken to her of late here were these netherlanders living under the beneficent and just laws of their sovereign lord and master king philip of spain the man who in every born spaniard's eyes was greater nobler more just and more merciful than any other monarch alive who next to his holiness himself was surely anointed by god himself and placed upon the mightiest throne on earth so that he might administer god's will upon all his subjects and here were these traitors plotting and planning against the government of that high and noble monarch plotting against his representative the lieutenant-governor whom he had himself put in authority over them to a girl born and bred in the atmosphere of quasi-worship which surrounded philip's throne 
the revolt of these netherlanders was the most heinous outrage any people could commit she understood now the hatred and loathing which her father had for them she hated them too since one of these vile conspirators had foully murdered her cousin ramon in the dark leatherface the man in the room below whom the others called your highness spoke of leatherface as his friend a prince consorting with a hired assassin and lenora felt that her whole soul was filled with loathing for all these people was not the man who had killed ramon foully surreptitiously and in the dark was he not even now just outside this very house the house which was to be her home for life waiting mayhap for some other unsuspecting spanish officer whom he could murder in the same cowardly and treacherous way and were not all these people in that room yonder execrable assassins too had she not heard them speaking of armed conspirators and could she not see even now in her mind's eye the unsuspecting duke of alva falling into their abominable trap but horror-struck as she was she never stirred truth to tell a sudden fear held her now the fear that she might be detected ere she had done her best to save the duke from this infamous plot what she would do presently she did not know as yet for the moment all that she needed was safety from discovery and the privacy of her own room where she could pray and think after lawrence had locked the papers in the bureau it was obvious that the meeting was at an end she had only just time to flit like a dark ghost through the dining-hall and to reach the stairs before she heard unmistakable signs that the prince and his friends were taking leave of their host and hostess gathering her wide gown together in her hands she crept up the stairs as fast as she could fortunately she was well out of the range of the small light at the foot of the stairs before the five men and clemence van Rijk came out into the hall she heard their few words of farewell and heard the prince arranging for the meeting the next evening at the house of monsieur de Nout. after that she felt that further delay would inevitably spell detection even now some one must have opened the front door for a gust of wind and heavy rain driving into the house told the listener quite clearly that the prince and his friends were leaving the house anon clemence and lawrence would be going up to their own apartments as swiftly as furtively as a mouse lenora made her way up the stairs and now there she sat once more in the vast bedchamber quivering with excitement and with horror listening for footsteps outside her door she heard clemence van Rijk's shuffling footsteps passing down the corridor and lawrence's more firm ones following closely in their wake 
a few whispered words were spoken by mother and son then doors were closed and all was still once more the fire had burnt low only the last dying embers of the charred pine logs threw a wide glowing band across the centre of the room lenora sitting by the fire had scarcely moved for a quarter of an hour or even more anon she heard the opening and shutting of the front door it was the high bailiff returning home not knowing of a truth that his house had just been used as a meeting-place for conspirators the hall porter slept between two doors in the outer lobby lenora heard him scrambling out of bed and the high bailiff's voice bidding him close everything up for the night then came the pushing home of bars and bolts and the rattle of chains and finally the sound of the high bailiff's heavy footsteps across the hall and up the stairs after that silence once more lenora however still sat on for a while staring into the glow vaguely she wondered if mark would be staying out all night or whether he had been home all along knowing perhaps and perhaps not caring about what was going on in his father's house keeping aloof from it all or like lawrence up to his neck in all this treachery and abominable rebellion another quarter of an hour went by the clock of st bavon had chimed the half after eleven and now the quarter before midnight lenora felt that at last she might slip downstairs with safety quickly now she took off her stuff gown and heavy farthingale which had so impeded her movements a while ago and groped in the press for a clinging robe which would envelop her closely and glide noiselessly upon the tiled floors there is absolutely no doubt that all through this time lenora acted almost unconsciously she never for one moment paused to think she was impelled by a force which she herself could not have defined a force which can be best described as a blind instinct obedience she had been born and bred in obedience and a sense of sacred duty to her king as sovereign lord to her faith and to her father in the convent at segovia she had learned the lesson of obedience so absolutely that it never entered her mind to question the decrees of those three all-potent arbiters of her destiny and when as now the hour came when the most sacred oath she had ever spoken had to be fulfilled she would have thought it a deadly sin to search her own heart to study her feelings to argue with herself about it she would as soon have thought of arguing with god on ramon's deathbed she had sworn to her father that she would act and work for her country and for her king in the way that her father would direct the time had come and she did what she believed 
to be her duty without question and without false shame she knew that the knowledge which she already possessed was of paramount importance to the government the prince of orange was in ghent who but he would be called your highness and moving about among his friends surreptitiously and at dead of night who but he would speak of the mysterious leatherface as being on the watch for him the prince of orange was in ghent and was conspiring against the state there had been talk of the duke of alva's visit to ghent and of two thousand men being secretly armed what other purpose save that of murder and bloodshed could be served by such secret plottings and the levying of troops in this illegal manner the prince of orange was in ghent and would on the morrow continue his underhand and treasonable machinations in the house of m denut procurator-general of ghent that was the extent of lenora's knowledge and what could she do with such a secret in her possession she a helpless girl a stranger in the midst of all these enemies of her people and of her race could she having gleaned so much information quietly go to bed and sleep and let events shape their course and detach herself as it were from the destinies of her own country which her father had in a measure entrusted to her stewardship could she above all be false to her oath at the very moment when god gave her an opportunity of fulfilling it and of working for her country and her king in a manner which was given to very few women to do indeed she did not pause to think any thought save that of obedience would be treason to the king and sinful before god the hour for thought would come later and with it mayhap regret then so be it whatever suffering she would have to endure in the future in her sentiment and in her feelings she was ready to accept unquestioningly just as she was prepared to fulfil her duty unquestioningly now she knew a good deal but surely not enough she had seen lawrence van Rijk lock up a packet of papers in the bureau and she had in her possession tied with a ribbon around her neck the precious pass-key which her father had given her on the very morning when he told her how ramon had come by his death the curiously fashioned piece of steel made by the metal-worker of toledo who had been put out of the way because his skill had made him dangerous and which would turn any lock or open any secret drawer she had no light now and did not know how to use the tinder but in the wall of the corridor outside her door there was a little niche wherein stood a statue of the virgin and in front of the statue a tiny light was kept burning day and night this would do in lieu of a candle 
she would take it she thought and carry it into the withdrawing-room with her it would help to guide her to the bureau where the papers were yes she was quite prepared for what she had to do and there was no reason to wait any longer and yet for some unaccountable reason she suddenly felt strangely inert there were still a few dying embers in the grate and she could see quite distinctly the high-backed chair in which she had sat last night and the low one wherein mark had half sat half kneeled close beside her the memory of that brief interview which she had had with him came upon her with a rush it had been the only interview between them since the blessing of the church had made them man and wife it had ended disastrously it is true her words i hate you had been cruel and untrue and overwhelming regret suddenly held her in its grip once again as it had done all the day closing her eyes for a moment for they felt hot and heavy she could almost believe that mark was still there his merry gray eyes looking deeply earnest trying to read her innermost thoughts his personality so strange so baffling even seemed still to linger in this dimly lighted room and she could almost hear his voice rugged yet at times so sweet and tender echoing softly along the rafters and all of a sudden she realized the full horror of what she was doing of what she must do now or else become false and perjured a traitor to her race and to her king no longer was she a blind and unconscious tool of fate she was she herself a woman who lived and thought and suffered and before her at this moment there was nothing but an interminable vista of sorrow and suffering and regret whether duty ruled her or sentiment she the innocent handmaid of fate could reap nothing but remorse in the future her heart her very youth must inevitably be crushed between those two potent factors which were struggling even now for mastery over her soul indeed was there ever a woman a mere girl confronted with so appalling so intricate a puzzle the lives of men were in her hands the prince of orange the high bailiff mark lawrence clemence on the one side on the other the duke of alva her own father her kindred all those whom she had clung to and loved throughout her life and knowing that she never could solve such an awful problem by herself lenora fell on her knees and prayed she prayed with all the fervor but also with all the simplicity of primitive faith the faith that is willing and eager to leave everything in god's hands to trust to guidance and help from above when life has become a hopeless and inextricable tangle the faith which hath for its principle 
loyalty and obedience and which accepts suffering in its cause and glories in it like in a martyr's crown after a few minutes lenora felt more calm her deep and fervent religious sentiment had risen triumphant over every doubt while she prayed so earnestly so unquestioningly it had been made clear to her that the issue of the mighty problem which was putting her very soul on the rack must remain in mightier hands than hers she could not be the arbiter of men's lives and of the destinies of the state all that she could do was to obey her father and fulfil her oath beyond that god must decide he had shown her the way how to obtain the knowledge which she now possessed and since her father was now back in brussels she must find a means of placing that knowledge in his hands her father of a surety was kind and just and god would himself punish whom he willed with this calmer state of mind her resolution became more firm she felt the pass-key safely in her bosom then stealthily she slipped out of her room the tiny light was flickering dimly at the foot of the virgin statue lenora lifted it carefully and with it in her hand prepared to go downstairs scarce a sound broke the silence of the night only the patter of the rain against the leaded panes of the windows and an occasional gust of wind that came roaring down the huge chimneys and shook the frames of windows and doors before descending the stairs lenora paused once more to listen down the corridor she could hear clemence van Rijk in her bedchamber still moving about and lawrence's footstep on the tiled floor of his room and then the girl shading the tiny light with her hand began to descend she paused for a moment upon the landing and peeped into the vast hall below it was fortunate that she had the tiny light as the small lamp at the foot of the stairs had since been extinguished but the little wick she held only threw out a faint glimmer a yard or two in front of her and beyond this small circle there was nothing but impenetrable darkness the house was very still and lenora was absolutely without fear from the church towers of the city both near and far there came the sound of bells striking the midnight hour she waited till the last echo of the chimes had died away then she continued her way down lenora now entered the dining-hall and carefully closed the door behind her light in hand she stood for a moment in the very angle of the room from whence she had watched the plotters an hour ago nothing had been deranged then she went into the withdrawing-room and placed the light upon the centre table she looked around her mutely challenging the dumb objects the chairs that stood about in disorder the curtains which were not closely drawn the bureau that was in the corner to tell her all that she had failed to hear 
in this spot a vile conspiracy had been hatched against the duke of alva two thousand men were implicated in it but in what way it threatened the duke's life she did not know nor yet who were all these men who had sat around this table and hatched treason against the king and state the tiny wick only shed a very feeble glimmer of light on the top of the table it made the shadows on the ceiling dance a weird rigadoon and grow to fantastic proportions but lenora's eyes were growing well accustomed to the gloom quickly now she drew the pass-key from between the folds of her kerchief and went up to the bureau the ribbon round her neck was in the way so she took it off with trembling unerring fingers she groped for the lock and having found it she inserted the pass-key into it after a little adjustment a little tugging and pulling she found that the lock yielded quite smoothly to the pressure the flap came down and displayed the interior of the bureau consisting of a number of wide pigeonholes in each of which there was a small iron box such as the rich matrons of flanders used for putting away their pearls and other pieces of jewellery on the top of one of these boxes there was a packet of papers tied round with a piece of orange-coloured ribbon without a moment's hesitation lenora took it she unfolded one of the papers and laid it out flat upon the table smoothing it out with her hand she drew the light a little nearer and examined the writing carefully it was just a list of names fifty in all with places of abode all set out in a double column and at the bottom was written in a bold hand all the above to assemble without any delay in the barn which is situated in the north-west angle of the cemetery at the back of the chapel of st jan tendullen having satisfied herself that the other papers in the packet also contained lists of names and brief orders as to place of assembly she tied them all up together again with the orange-coloured ribbon then she closed the bureau turned the pass-key in the lock and slipped it together with the packet into the bosom of her gown then she turned to go light in hand she went tiptoeing across the dining-room but close to the threshold she paused she had distinctly heard a furtive footstep in the hall at once she extinguished the light then she waited her thoughts had flown to laurence van Rijk. perhaps he felt anxious about the papers and was coming down in order to transfer them to some other place of safety the supposition was terrifying lenora felt as if an icy hand had suddenly gripped her heart and was squeezing her very life out of it in this death-like agony a few seconds went by indeed they seemed to the unfortunate girl like an eternity of torment she had slipped close to the wall 
right against the door so that the moment it was opened from the outside and some one entered the room she could contrive to slip out all might yet be well if whoever entered did not happen to carry a light then suddenly she heard the steps again and this time they approached the dining-room door lenora's heart almost ceased to beat the next moment the door was opened and some one stood upon the threshold just for a second or two without moving whilst lenora with senses as alert as those of some feline creature in defence of its life waited and watched for her opportunity but that opportunity never came for the newcomer whoever he was suddenly stepped into the room and immediately closed the door behind him and turned the key in the lock lenora was a prisoner at the mercy of a man whose secret she had stolen and whose life hung upon all that she had seen and heard this night the intruder now groped his way across the room and anon lenora heard him first draw aside the curtains from before the window and then proceed to open two of the casements the window gave on the neustrata almost opposite the tavern of the three weavers at the entrance of which there hung an iron street lamp the light of this came slanting in through the open casements and lenora suddenly saw that it was mark who was standing there even at this instant he turned and faced her he showed no sign however of surprise but exclaimed quite pleasantly by the stars madonna and who would have thought of meeting you here the tension on lenora's nerves had been so acute that her self-control almost gave way with the intensity of her relief when she recognized mark and heard the sound of his voice her hands began to shake so violently that the tiny lamp nearly dropped out of them she had been so startled that she could not as yet either speak or move but just stood there close to the wall like a pale slim ghost only faintly illumined by the slanting light of the street lamp her soft white gown clinging round her trembling limbs her face bosom and arms were scarce less white than her gown and in the dim mysterious light her luminous dark eyes shone with a glow of excitement still vaguely tinged with dread he thought that never in life had he seen anything quite so beautiful so pure so desirable and yet so pathetic as this young girl whom but forty hours ago he had sworn to love to protect and to cherish just now she looked sadly helpless despite the fact that gradually a little air of haughtiness replaced her first look of fear madonna he said gently are you indeed yourself or are you your own wrath if not why are you wandering about alone at this hour of the night i came to fetch my prayer-book she said 
trying to speak lightly and with a steady voice i thought that i had left it here to-day and missed it when i went to rest you found the book i hope he said without the slightest trace of irony no she replied coldly inez must have put it away will you be so good as to unlock that door i will with pleasure madonna i locked it when i came in because i didn't want old pierre to come shuffling in after me as he so often does when i go late to bed but he added putting out his hand may i take this lamp from you your hand does not appear to be oversteady and if the oil were to drip it would spoil your gown the draught blew it out she retorted and i would be glad if you would relight it i am going back to my room precisely he rejoined dryly as he took the lamp from her and put it on the table and with your leave i would escort you thither i thank you she rejoined coldly i can find my way alone as you please he said with perfect indifference now that her eyes were more accustomed to the semi-darkness she could see him more distinctly and she stared at him in amazement his appearance was certainly very different to what it habitually was for he usually dressed himself with great care but now he had on dark clothes made of thick woolen stuff which clung closely to his tall figure he wore no ruff and had on very high boots which reached high above his knees both his clothes and boots were bespattered with mud and strangely enough looked also wet through somehow the appearance appeared unreal it was mark and yet it was not his face too looked flushed and the lines round his eyes were more deeply marked than they had ever seemed to be before the recollection of all the abominable gossip retailed about him by inez and others took possession of her mind she had been told by all and sundry that mark van Rijk had spent most of his day at the three weavers and now the flush on his face the curious dilation of the pupils of his eyes seemed to bear mute testimony to all that she had heard here then she already saw the hand of god guiding her future and showing her the small glimmer of comfort which he vouchsafed her in the midst of her perplexities life in this house and with this man who cared less than nothing for her would anyhow be intolerable then obviously the way was clear for her to go back to her father she wished no harm to these people none to this poor drunken wretch who probably had no thought of rebellion or of heresy none to lawrence who loved her or to clemence who had been kind to her but she despised them ay and loathed them and was grateful to god for allowing her to keep her promise to her father within the first few hours of her married life how terrible would have been the long and weary watching the irresolution 
the temptation mayhap to be false to her oath through sheer indolence or super acute sentiment so now all that she had to do was to go straight back to her father tell him all that she knew and then go go back to the dear old convent at segovia having done more than a woman's share in the service of her country and then to rest after that to spend her life in peace and in prayer away from all political intrigues forgetting that she had ever been young and felt a vague yearning for happiness mark had made no sign or movement while lenora stood there before him gathering her strength together for what she felt might prove a struggle in some unaccountable way she felt a little afraid of him not physically of course but despite the fact that she had so impulsively judged him just now afraid of that searching glance of his which seemed to lay her innermost thoughts like an open book before his eyes she put this strange timidity of hers down to the knowledge that he had certain lawful rights over her as her lord and husband and that she would have to obtain his consent before she could think of going to brussels on the morrow monsieur she said abruptly during this day which you have seen fit to spend among your habitual boon companions making merry no doubt i have been a great deal alone solitude begets sober reason and i have come to the conclusion that life under present conditions would be a perpetual martyrdom to me she paused and he rejoined quietly i don't think i quite understand madonna under what conditions would your life become a martyrdom under those of a neglected wife monsieur she said i have no mind to sit at home an object of suspicion to your kinsfolk and of derision to your servants while the whole town is alive with the gossip that monsieur mark van ryck spent the first day of his marriage in the taverns of ghent and left his bride to pine in solitude but methought madonna he retorted that it was solitude that you craved for both last night and even a moment ago you told me very plainly that you had no desire for my company last night i was overwrought and would have made amends to you for my thoughtlessness at once only that you left me incontinently without a further word as for now monsieur surely you cannot wonder that i have no mind for your society after a day's carouse has clouded your brain and made your glance unsteady she thought herself very brave in saying this and more than half expected an angry retort from him instead of which he suddenly threw back his head and burst into an immoderate and merry laughter she gazed at him horrified and not a little frightened thinking indeed that his brain was overclouded but he as soon as he had recovered his composure asked her with grave attempt at seriousness you think that i am drunk madonna ye gods 
he exclaimed not without a touch of bitterness hath such a farce ever been enacted before a farce to you perhaps she said earnestly but a tragedy to me i have been rendered wretched and unhappy monsieur and this despite your protestations of chivalry i did not seek you monsieur this marriage was forced upon me it is ungenerous and cowardly to make me suffer because of it dastardly and abominable he assented gravely indeed madonna you do me far too much honour even to deign to speak with me i am not worthy that you should waste a thought on me but since you have been so kind thus far will you extend your generosity to me by allowing me to give you my most solemn word to swear to you if need be that i am not the drunken wretch whom evil tongues have thus described to you there he added more lightly will you not deign to sit here a moment you are tired and overwrought let me get you a cup of wine and see if some less strenuous talk will chase all those black thoughts from your mind he took her hand and then with gentle yet forceful pressure led her to the wide hearth and made her sit in the big chair close beside it alas there are not even embers in the grate he said i fear me you must be cold from somewhere out of the darkness she could not see from where he brought a footstool for her feet then he pulled a low chair forward for himself and sat down at some little distance from her in his favourite attitude with one elbow on his knee and his face shaded by his hand she remained silent for a moment or two for she suddenly felt an extraordinary sense of well-being just the same as she had felt last night and once or twice before in his presence and she felt deeply sorry for him too after all perhaps he had no more desired this marriage than she had and no doubt the furrows on his face came from anxiety and care and she marvelled what it was that troubled him there he asked gaily are you better now madonna better i thank you she replied then shall i interpret the thoughts which were coursing behind that smooth brow of yours when first i startled you by my presence here if you will he waited a moment then said dryly you desired to convey to me your wish to return to your father oh only for a little while he added hastily seeing that she had made a quick protesting gesture but that was in your mind was it not she could not deny it and murmured yes such a wish madonna he rejoined gravely is as a command to me in the late morning the horses will be at your disposal i will have the honour to accompany you to brussels you monsieur she exclaimed you would i would do anything to further your wishes madonna this i would have you believe and a journey to brussels is such a small matter as you say she murmured for such are the contradictions of a woman's heart that all of a sudden 
she did not wish to go away all the thoughts of rebellion and conspiracies were unaccountably thrust into the background of her mind and she did not wish to go away there is no hurry she continued timidly i would not like to put you to inconvenience oh he rejoined airily there is no inconvenience which i would not gladly bear in order to gratify your wish i shall have to pack my effects Jeanie will help inez and a few things are easily packed your effects shall follow in an ox-wagon they will be two days on the way so i pray you take what is required for your immediate needs and is easily stowed in your saddle-bow we shall have to make an early start if you desire to be in brussels by nightfall oh there is no hurry she protested ah then in that case i could escort you as far as a lost and send a courier thence to your father to meet you there the next day she bit her lip and could have cried with vexation at the present moment she hated him for so obviously wishing to be rid of her she had quite forgotten that she had ever wanted to go i shall be too tired to make an early start in the morning she said quite piteously why it is close on early morning now she leaned a little forward in order to listen for just then the chimes of st bavon rang the half-hour after midnight she still looked a small pale slim ghost with one side of her exquisite face in shadow the other but faintly illumined by the light from without her vexation her indecision were so plainly expressed in her eyes that he must indeed have been vastly dull or vastly indifferent not to have read her thoughts nevertheless he said with the same calm airiness as before a few hours rest will revive you madonna and if we only go as far as a lost to-morrow we need not start before midday at this her pride was aroused his indifference now amounted to insolence with a vigorous effort she swallowed her tears for they were very near the surface and then she rose abruptly with the air and manners of a queen looking down in her turn with haughty indifference on that abominable netherlander whom she had never hated so thoroughly as she did at this moment i thank you monsieur she said coldly i pray you then to see that all arrangements be complete for my journey as early as may be i would wish to be in brussels by nightfall and half a dozen leagues or so does not frighten me she rose with all that stateliness which was a part of herself and suited her tall graceful figure so admirably as she did so she gave him a curt nod such as she would have bestowed on a serving man he too rose to his feet but he made no attempt to detain her on the contrary he at once busied himself with his tinder-box and relighted the little lamp then he went to the door unlocked it and held it open for her to pass through as she did so she took the lamp from him 
and for one moment their hands met his were burning hot and hers quite cold his fingers lingered upon the satiny softness of hers but she sailed past him without bestowing another glance upon him with little head erect and eyes looking straight out before her in one hand she held the lamp with the other she was holding up the heavy folds of her trailing gown her tiny feet in velvet shoes made no sound as she glided across the hall soon she was a mere silhouette with the light just playing faintly with the loose curls round her head and touching the lines of her shoulders and arms and one or two folds of her gown she mounted the stairs slowly as if she was infinitely weary mark watched the graceful ghost-like form gliding upstairs until the gloom had swallowed it up then he turned back into the room the first thing that mark did when he was alone was to close the door then he struck a light and lit a candle with it in his hand he went into the withdrawing-room and having peered closely into the four corners of the room as if he half expected to see some night-prowler there he placed the candle on the table drew a bunch of keys from the inner pocket of his doublet and going up to the bureau proceeded to unlock it just as lenora had done he gave one quick glance at the interior of the bureau then he put up the flap and once more turned the key in the lock having done this he stood for a while quite still his chin buried in his hand his broad shoulders bent a deep double furrow between his brows from time to time a deep sigh escaped his lips and his merry gray eyes almost disappeared beneath the heavy frown then he seemed to shake himself free from his obsession he straightened out his tall figure and threw back his head with a movement of pride and of defiance he took up the candle and started to go out of the room but on the threshold he paused again and looked behind him the table the chairs the bureau seemed in a strange weird way to be mocking him they looked so placid and so immovable so stolid in the face of the terrible calamity which had just fallen on this house and suddenly mark with a violent gesture threw the heavy candlestick to the ground the flame flickered as it fell and the taper rolled about gently for a while from side to side until it landed close to his feet he smothered a curse and put his heel upon the taper crushing the wax into a shapeless mass then with a curious groan half of pain half of bitter irony he passed his hand once or twice across his brow slowly the glow of wrath faded from his eyes a look of wonderful tenderness coupled with gentle good-humour and kindliness softened the rugged lines of his face a whimsical smile played round the corners of his lips she must be wooed and she must be won he murmured mark you lumbering fool can you do it 
you have less than twenty-four hours in which he sighed again and laughed softly to himself shaking his head dubiously the while then he went out of the room and closed the door softly behind him End of chapter eight